You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. The premise of this book is really powerful, which is that we're all afraid of things all the time in our lives, whether it's relationships or business or being in Afghanistan, potentially yeah. being shot at. And it's not about conquering the fear. It's about using that fear to even be more powerful. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things I love about this book is that it really shows people that, like, fear is something we're going to live with for the rest of our lives. It's how we choose to deal with the fear is when you think of it even in happiness, right? It's like you're either going to let fear control your life or you're going to let it be a positive force for good. But I don't want to sound like I didn't have fear in those moments. The training does kick in. Like we go through so much training and, and when you're in those moments, we train to deal with that situation. Right, and it's almost like a different kind of fear because you know when that fear kicks in, these are the five things you have to do. It's like in your manual. And by the way, it's really brilliant, the process you come up with and you really do teach people how to convert that fear into ways to move forward. Brandon, there are so many things I want to talk to you about with this new book, Mastering Fear. I uh, I at first wondered, when I, first off, welcome to the show once Thanks. again, Brandon <laughs> Webb, author of The Killing School. Author, what's that? What's that? We've we've done all of your books. Yeah. Um, this is like your third time on the podcast. I've been on your podcast. You're author of the New York Times bestselling The Killing School, which is how you set up the actual school in the Navy SEALs, which the teaches sniper snipers. Yeah. Then you wrote the Red Circle about you know a lot of your experiences of your uh, you know comrades in arms and in, in in among the seals and your adventures and well that one was when my dad threw me out of the house and that that got me that was my story of how I ended up in the SEAL teams. Well, I'm going to get to that circle. in this one because yeah. you talk about it here as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, this this book is my fa is my personal favorite. You know why? Because it's, it's this my one, favorite too. Honestly, it's it it's. I feel like there are so many things you say in here that during every single day I can, and I'll say the title saying, but every single day I can remi remind myself, oh no, Brandon mentioned this thing when this happens. And the book is called Mastering Fear. You detail so many stories. I mean, you've dealt with fear like, actually, let me just ask you this first sure. question. You just One of your first stories about yourself in the book is when you're in Afghanistan, and it ain't, I couldn't quite picture graphically all the details. So you're 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 with some of your buddies, not buddies, but other seals in Afghanistan, and there's like 50 Afghanistan guys kind of surrounding you, and they're not nice people to you. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 you talk about the premise of this book is not oh I could conquer fears I could eliminate fears I get them the premise of this book is really powerful which is that we're all afraid of things all the time in our lives whether it's relationships or business or 
being in Afghanistan, potentially yeah. being shot at. And it's not about conquering the fear, it's about using that fear to even be more powerful. It's almost like how in the book, you quote, quote Kamal talking about your superpowers. It's almost like how fear itself, you could turn it from making you into, you know, a sniveling person in the corner, unable to do something into a, a superhero by channeling that fear. So I just it's explain why that Afghanistan world, story. It's why world records are broke in competition, not in practice. Like who, what story have we ever heard of a world record getting broken in, in a practice swim match? Or a running you know, match. I've wondered that. I've wondered actually when you see like <laughs> Usain Bolt uh, break a record in the Olympics. By the way, we're not avoiding Afghanistan. Just yeah, that's <laughs> just in charge. Just in case you were trying to change the topic. Happy to talk about it. <laughs> when yeah. you when when you see Usain Bolt uh, run, you know, break a record in in the Olympics, a running record. Is it that he never ran that fast practicing? And he he, he I always think he's like killing that. Uh, score all the time and thinking like, damn, why wasn't this in the Olympics? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, it takes that pressure and anxiousness and, you know, which is a little bit of that fear and, and being able to recognize it and harness it uh, to elevate your performance. And, and you know, I, I, sh I share a lot of personal stories of my own experience dealing with fear and I've we all deal with it. And I think I'm in a position where I've, I've had some interesting experiences as a as a kid and a childhood and then becoming a Navy SEAL. And I think the Navy SEALs are kind of maybe overly romanticized and it's like, oh, these guys don't they don't have any fear. And it's like, no, it's like everybody lives with fear. And so I felt like this book to me was, you know, and thank you to Kamal, who, you know, the the inspiration behind the book was us having this experience uh teaching him how to swim and and confront his fear of the water, which well, he'd had all his life. Well, and that's what I thought was so great about the book. So it's almost a mistake for me to ask you about when people are potentially shooting at you, because that's like a cliche example of when someone quite correctly is afraid. But you sandwich, you interweave a lot of these stories with the story of our, our good mutual friend, Kamal Ravikant, who's actually in the room right now, uh, with Kamal was afraid to swim. He was afraid to learn how to swim. Yeah. And uh, uh, and you taught him how to swim, and afraid not of the by water, teaching yeah. him how to swim, but by teaching him what you describe throughout this book, which is how do you make fear work for you yeah. to, to drive you to new skills, new abilities, you know, ultimately to, to, to break down barriers inside of yourself, not to get rid of the fear, but to just have a more uh, holistic life, a, more, a life worth living. Yeah, and the one thing about writing this book was, you know, and I wrote it with my writing partner, John. He said, okay, look, you've got all these great s stories, but we got to like make this into a system. And I remember being a new instructor in the military and when you teach a class for the first time, you really, really get into it and learn a lot more than than you did when you before you started preparing to teach. And and by getting into this writing process of mastering fear and developing this system, I actually learned some new stuff along the way myself. And I remember I was in Europe with my kids this summer. We had this massive issue with. Facebook changing their algorithm and, and the business that I run today is media publishing and e-commerce. And so we 
we spend a lot of money on ads, on social media, and performance marketing. You know, we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a month on Facebook, and we get a return. Well, Facebook shut us down. They labeled us as a gun seller. Oh <laughs> we gosh. don't sell guns, but they're like they saw this military guys on one of our landing pages, and they shut us down for almost a week, and we lost you know three four days, almost a couple hundred thousand dollars in revenue, and I was you know you want to talk about being freaked out and scared it, i all this self talk started coming into my head you're going to lose your business you're going to have to let go employees all this stuff and i'm dealing with this as i'm in nice france with my kids for to watch the world cup match and um i literally went back and <laughs> i was like okay i got this system and okay where am i at in this process and inserted myself in the in the system that I created with Mastering Fear and I go, okay. And I just talked myself off the ledge. And I knew like the self-talk. Um, I, I'm good at that when I when the voices of doubt start chiming in, which we all have that self-talk. But but I want to ask you before the self-talk, when the first self-talk you were doing right then was uh the business is going to fail, I'm gonna be living in out of my car or whatever you were thinking. Like I, I know that feeling too. When when yep. you when you feels like <laughs> yeah. if your business goes down for one day, it feels like your business just declared bankruptcy. Like yeah. there's that you can't help sort of projecting everything, the trend into the future, even if it's a one day trend or a one week trend. And I feel so bad, but it always brings me back to the the worst moments in prior businesses. Like that's where the fear is coming from. And did you find that happen? Because you had a prior business, which yeah. uh, you write about in the book, which blew up and yeah. you had to deal with the consequences. Did you f- feel in your body the way you felt in your body when that business yeah, was Yeah, I think that's like, that was the first emotion I felt and reaction. And then I said, wait a minute. I'm, thinking, I'm going about this wrong. I need to take my own advice, right? I just wrote this book on Master Fear. I said, let me look at everything and figure out what we can learn from this experience. Okay, one, we need to we need to get better as a business on getting back to Google, hitting our email list, doing retargeting. Plus it showed me, give me the financials. I talked to my controller. I'm like, whoa, how do we let our margins slip this and this far? And because um, one of our products, uh, the Crate Club, which is this James Bond box that we send out to men every month. Uh, it's like James Bond in a box. We had let our margins slip. And when you add like the cost of the customer acquisition cost against the product, I said, I re I said, this model isn't going to work long term. Um, we need to get to 90, 100% margin. And my team was like, that's impossible. I was like, no, 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 it is possible. We have to make our own product. And so I realized that this, I said, and I talked to the team because my team was freaking out. We had to pay vendors. Um, 30, 60 days out from already net 60, they're screaming at you know my ops guy, my controller is crying. I got him on the phone. I was like, look, everything is going to be okay. We have a good business. We have customers. It's a recurring revenue model. We have subscribers. If we had to eat top ramen for 30 days on the first of the month, we're going to get the rebills and we're, we're flush with cash. So we, it's going to be okay. And we're going to get better as a business by going through this process, and they're, they they took a deep breath and like, oh my god, thank you, thank you for saying that. So so so, I mean, that almost reminds me of like whenever I get a letter from the IRS, I call my accountant and he says, don't worry, 
I'll call him. We'll take care of this. And he has mm-hmm. this deep voice. And I feel I've so got those letters too. They're terrible. As soon as I open that white envelope with IRS, yeah. my heart starts beating fast. Yeah. No, that's that's fear. And now I've learned to channel that fear yeah. into calling my accountant instead of avoiding it and hiding the <laughs> yeah, letter. Just get it away. So, but but uh, did you kind of analyze what a worst case scenario would be? Because you don't, you know, you don't talk about that much in, in the book, I the did, worst case scenario aspect. In this case, for sure, I did worst case scenario and it, and it wasn't that bad. And that's when I- What was it? I'm a worst case scenario, we got banned from Facebook and we couldn't recover. Then I had to look at, okay, what what profit lines uh, still generate revenue? And yeah, worst case, it was, I, I'm going to have to get rid of people. Like, I'm going to have to let people go and rebuild. But we still have a stable um, core business. And so it, I went to that worst case scenario and it wasn't that bad. And so I, I talked to the team and we talked about earlier about the, tension of the arena and the performance whether you're doing stand up i was like this is this is not this is where i told my team this is an opportunity for us to kind of get smacked in the face and go wake up guys like you know get look at what we're doing and how we can do it better across the board not only with with our marketing and that was when i called my friend nina who runs all of uh, Google Eastern Europe. I said, "Who's the best performance marketing agency out there? We need. We have an in-house team, but we need more help." Um, I got that set up. We just all started working as a team to, and we're we're now much better prepared for so, the so, future. So there's a couple of things. Of there's a couple of things you describe there, which is which are almost precursors to your method of mastering fear. I mean, and you you talk about them in the book as well. But this self awareness aspect, like, okay. My mind's going crazy. I'm giving too much energy to the problem instead of the solution. Yeah. And that's uh, that's the average way people deal with fear. And it and that's the reason businesses go out of business and competitors don't win and stand-ups bomb and whatever when I first, relationships fail. When I lost my first business, that's where I went. When it all when it the day I had the conversation with my attorney and and it was done, it was a huge weight off my shoulders. And then I started going into Oh my God, this is terrible. I lost all the, my money, I let my family down, my friends and family money. I've, I'm, I'm gone. In fact, I owe people money. <laughs> you, 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 what you just said is interesting. You said, I'm gone. Did you feel like you, know, you had put all of your self-worth in the value of this business? And since the value of the business was now zero, did you feel like you were worth zero? Yeah, yeah you, feel, you feel worthless. And I, so, but then I caught myself and I said, wait a minute. You used to be this guy that taught positive mental mindset in the sniper program timeout let's look at the positives of this situation the fact that i can in that three and a half years of starting the business and losing it i'd raised with partners almost four million dollars in capital i'd been at multiple meetings with banks and understand the sba lending process i know how to read financial statements when i was first started the business, um, I had no idea how to read a PL or a balance statement. It was intimidating to me. Now I look at him like it's basic arithmetic. Yeah. But it's very intimidating. And I was like, I have, you know, I went to business school along the way. I had all these skill sets. I said, I'm fine. Like I can go to businessbroker.com or whatever it is, find a business that some baby boomer wants to get out of that's spitting off a couple hundred grand a year and scale it. You know, so I was um the moment I started, I made the decision to look at the positives of the situation rather than focus on the negative, which is just bringing me down. That was when I started 
to build up my self-image again and go, okay, I'm fine. Like, this is going to be okay. And, you know, I was practical about it. I had to go get a job. I ended up working for a, a division of L3 Communications, uh, which was a great experience. Taught me I didn't want to be a corporate guy. <laughs> Um, but then, but then you had this just a few weeks ago or, or months ago when you had this problem with Facebook with your current business. You had this flashback to not only the fear, but probably that feeling of I'm I'm a zero, I'm gone. Yeah, as you as you put it. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things I I love about this book is that it really shows people that we are living like fear is something we're going to live with for the rest of our lives. It's how we choose to deal with the fear, is is what separates. Um, it separates really. I when you think of it, in, even in happiness, right? It's like you're either going to let fear control your life, or you're going to let it be a positive force for for good. Um, and, and that's a prime example of. I was having a great time in Europe. I have a good business. I have you know I have other sources of revenue, and. When this happened, boom! I went to that place, but I caught myself, and I said, "I took, I took my own advice, right?" I, I literally was like, "Okay, um, no, I, I got to start thinking about this differently." And so we're, it just, you know, I'm a Navy SEAL. I'm, people uh, assume that you know I'm this fearless guy, and it's it's just not the case. Like we all, regardless of, I've met some of the most successful people from a guy, Scott Kelly. I mentioned the book, who's an astronaut, test pilot amazing guy he was like i was scared to apply for nasa i didn't think i was good enough and he said i but he's like i sorted through it and and figured out that if i don't apply i'm the certainty is i'll never they'll never take me if i don't fill out the application so um it just shows you like some of the most successful people in the world we all we all deal with this fear and, and it's almost I, like fear is i'm just going to think about it in mathematical terms it's like gravity. It's everywhere all the time and it's how we deal with it. Yeah. It determines whether we fall to the ground or, you know, figure out ways to fly as being overly corny about it, but it's, yeah, you can't avoid the fear that's everywhere. As we're built with it. It's instinctive. We we have tribal animals, primates had to have fear to survive in the jungle and we have the same DNA still. Yeah. One of the best books I've ever read is called The Tree of Knowledge by Umberto Maturana and they it's one of the hardest books I've ever read as well because it's just a, a vocabulary that I had to literally read the book of the dictionary. But it talks about environment and fixed ideas and like how like even at a single cellular level, like the environment changes, you know, cell structure. Um, and it takes you on this beautiful journey of humanity and what it means to be human. But at the very end, they talk about people latching on to fixed, to having a fixed mindset versus open mindset. Um, so they have these fixed views of the world based on their experience. And not too long ago, it was commonly thought that the world was flat. And and then it was, okay, well, the earth doesn't rotate around the sun, right? Like there's all these like very things that we take for granted today. They're like, oh, of course it's that way. But you were a kook to think any other that the world was anything other than this flat thing you're going to sail off the edge of in the in the boat. So when you translate that to fear, I tell the story of the, the jungle training where they had to eat, um, they showed you how to like trap monkeys to eat for survival and how you trap a monkey in the Philippines. You dig a hole, 
you put something of value in there. In this case, it was the coconut. And you make these sticks in the hole so the monkey sticks the hand in, grabs the coconut, but can't pull it out. And the thing is, the monkey won't let go of the coconut. All he has to do is let it go, and he's free. He won't let go. He's sitting there looking at the the guy, the Filipino guy coming to club him in the head and kill him, and he still won't let go of this coconut. And I feel like the, I tell that story in there because the coconut is a lot of people's, they're holding on to these, these fears and these stories in their head. And one of the things I, I really respected about you when we met was you told this story and were vulnerable about how you were dealing with your own, confronting your fear of public speaking. And if you saw that and then you made a conscious decision to let go and, and take the journey. And there's so many people that just don't do that and they end up in these miserable relationships. They're in these careers where they thought at one point, oh, I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer. I'm going to make all this money. And then they do, they get, they get into these professions and they're absolutely miserable and they just won't let go. Yeah, um, they, they, you know, they have excuses. They say, I can't. Um, they don't say, okay, this is this is an opportunity. Like I'm afraid to to do public speaking, so this is an opportunity to figure out maybe ten ways I can battle this fear, and then just simply do them. And like you you taught Kamal how to deal with his fear uh, in in swimming. It's almost like what you did was you you you. you well, well, we'll get into it more in a little bit, but you created a very safe environment for him to be in the water without fear and you build up from that in, in this particular case. But the biggest step for him and the biggest step for you, and we're going to get back into your story about your business, is you may, you, after all this self-talk and feelings of disaster happening, you made the decision, look, I'm not going to go down that path. I'm going to start thinking in terms of solutions instead of disasters. Yeah. So that, that decision is the first part of your process. But there's something else there. There's, there's a, the self-awareness aspect that, oh, I see what's happening in my head. It's bad. I need to reverse it. Then there's positive self-talk. I did this, 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 this. I should be able to survive this. And, and, and meaning I should be able to come up with solutions once I switch my thinking, which you haven't done yet. I mean, in, in the process, but you're about to. Yeah. And then there's a third thing, which is really important. And you, you mentioned it briefly, um, actually, in, in the decision chapter. Uh, surround yourself with wisdom, which is, I think, taken for granted. What you just said before when you were describing the business from a few months ago is one of the first things you did was you called your contact at Google. Yeah. So you called the second largest company in the world, <laughs> the person who decided your your fate or or <laughs> fury whatever you want to call it and you said give me advice which is i find to be a great technique if someone is is called and 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 their advice is asked for it kind of puts them off guard cuz you're giving them status um so no matter what they felt about you or your business before it's now this again tribal thing like oh this person just gave me status okay i'll i'll help him out and she did. Uh, and I think it's it's underestimated the power of uh, preparing years or decades in advance for fear. Yeah, <laughs> because and, and that's by by building up a network of of wisdom of people yep. who you can make those calls to, no matter what the situation. I'm and you bring up a really good point about, and I talk about it earlier about environment. Like our 
our environment is so critical. Uh, and then, and when I say that, I mean who you hang out with, like your friends, your even sometimes your family. There's, um, I, uh, there's been many situations where I've had the conversations with my kids who are around family members that are just not in good places. And I, I, I remember last Christmas having I rented a house in Lake Tahoe. It's a family tradition. We go skiing every year, and there was a member of the family that. My kids, I know they feel a certain way about, and I understand because they're very negative. They get around, they they just talk down to other people, and they don't even realize they're doing it. And I say, look, um, I sat my kids down. I say, look, we know this. Here's the thing: it's it's much harder to be kind than clever. So for one, I don't want to hear any smart back talk. The other thing is just remove yourself from the environment. Just tell the person, look. I really don't uh, want to get into this conversation now and excuse yourself and, and leave the environment because the being around those kind of people that's that are negative um, and today in the world of social media it's so important as well to curate that environment so you surround yourself with people who are positive and loving and, and are going to amplify what you do and who you the person that you want to become and well, I, I, and and I'm always going to interrupt. I'm yeah, sorry, no and I also know we have a tight time frame. But I want to point out in your book, you know, there's two uh, interesting anecdotes. Uh, one is someone who wants to start a business, but specifically disconnects from her family for a little while because she knows they'll be negative about her starting a business. And this has happened to me so many times where I've had to. Yeah, that's Maria. I think. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of have in those situations uh, a one strike and you're out policy which is very hard because I talk to a lot of people about this who say the exact same thing. They have the exact same problem. And a lot of people say, well, six years ago, this person helped me move when I was down and out, so I have to be loyal back. And I'm like, yeah, but now is now. You have to be able to build your career. And they're off in their own toxicity, and yeah. they're not asking for your help, and they're just bringing you down. You have to have the uh, some policy of eliminating toxic people. The other thing you say, which is related to this, is you quote pa Paulo Coelho, author of The Alchemist, um, and you say, you know, haters are just confused admirers. So what I take from that in terms of action is, okay, you're a hater, which means you're a confused admirer. The only way I'm going to get you not confused anymore is if I go off and do something, and then you could admire what I do. Because I'm not going to, you can't ever logically change someone's mind. You can't argue with anybody because yeah. they're not going to change their opinion because their their hand is on the coconut. Yeah, one, I remember Mark Harmon, who's one of the most successful TV actors ever of uh, NCIS. Um, he has a production company called Wings. Him and I were working on a TV project together and got to be friends because his father was in the military. His father was a Heisman Trophy winner at Michigan and uh, left a professional football career to join the Army Air Corps and was a bomber pilot in World War II, then went on to fly the uh, one of my favorite planes, the P-38 uh, Lightning, uh, over China. And his dad just had this amazing story. And Mark and I kind of bonded over that. And, and Mark was a guy that was the quarterback at UCLA and had a career that he could have went into immediately into the NFL. He left and he wanted to act. And I was really struggling. It was the first time I was getting a little bit of success and limelight. 
And I had former teammates coming out on social media trying to tear me down and 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 hate. And and I saw it, I knew what it was. Like I was like, okay, that guy over there, he's the guy I kicked out for cocaine and he's out of the community. This guy got kicked out for performance. Um, so I knew they were just unhappy people and and what it was, but it what what bothered me was that um, you know, the the confused 15-year-old admirer. Like, why would this guy say this? He was this guy. So, but Mark just sat me down and he was like, look, I'm gonna share some personal stories with you about what people would say to me when I'm in a huddle at UCLA. They the stuff that would they would call my dad a coward and say all this stuff. And he just told me, he's like, look, you really have to be careful in who you hang out with and surround yourself with good people and realize that anyone that takes the time out of their day to trash talk somebody, like energy into it. And I'm talking like on social media, wherever, that person, like there is, there is no happy, successful person in life that has the time to do that kind of thing. And you just got to recognize that and I hang out. I'm going to steal that line from you, by the way. And hang out with the right kind of people. And that's why, I mean, I love hanging out with Kamal and... I love hanging out with you. It's like I, I built this really great network of friends and people that, and, and family that I hang around with and I love. And, and I know that, that we're all dealing with shit. Right. But it's like a positive support system. You know? And to, to do this process of mastering fear and let's say turning it into a superpower, I do feel like there are these precursor skills. Like I, you know, the self-awareness to identify the negative self-talk and turn it into positive the listing positive attributes that kind of boost you up again the the fact that you've you know are in a constant process of networking and i'm i'm a horrible networker but i always try to and i know you do this too i always try even when there's a small opportunity to do a favor not because i expect future favors back but because that's in part how you build up this 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 room of wisdom around you you know when you need it and it's at that point when you have kind of like your 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 wisdom board and your your positive self talk uh, and your self awareness, then you can make the decision, which is the first part of your process uh, that you describe. I'm gonna I, I can I can and I'm going to deal with this fear. Like Kamal, when he's you know when you when he first comes to you, it's not that. He says, "Oh, I can't do it because this is." He's like, "You told him show up at the swimming pool." He made a decision. Okay, I'll be there, and he he did it, and that's the decision. So we all yeah. have to come up with this this decision. That's the first part of your process, and you you exemplified it with how you dealt with this catastrophe in your company. I want to now go back to almost the cliche example of fear when someone's about to shoot you because I'm I was just really curious about this one scene so I have to keep asking about it a bunch of guys who basically want to kill you start getting closer and closer why didn't they just shoot you um, that situation was I have to say Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world 
is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Why didn't they just shoot you? Um, that situation was, we were in Afghanistan. 2002. And, yeah, 2002. This might even have been two, like right up into 2000. Like the, I think it was either right before Christmas or right after Christmas. Either like 2001 Christmas or, um, you know, Happy New Year. You're in Afghanistan. Go chase bad guys in the mountains. So we were, <clears throat> we were on this mission that was supposed to be a one-day mission. We were going to take some Marines with us, chopper in, get off. The Marines would set this perimeter um, up on this valley, and we would go so we could go inside and clear these this cave complex um, that was, they called it, um, oh, what was it called? I think it was um, Tarnak Farms 2 or something. It was two main training camps in Afghanistan. One was in Kandahar, the other one was up north, and this one had been uh, was strategically bombed. We went in right after to do like a battle damage assessment and see if there's any bad guys. So we we were in there, and we just started finding all sorts of stuff. We were in these caves. We we're finding like American radios with crypto on it. You know, left like stuff that was. Um, like we had given to our allies that ended up in Afghanistan. It was just crazy stuff. So we started finding all this intelligence and we would call it back and report it back to headquarters. And then we ended up, uh, literally, I remember, this is like another lesson that has nothing to do with fear, but I remember this big explosive ordnance disposal guy. Uh, his name was Steve. He was this big bodybuilder guy. And... He was. We had these EOD guys along, so we could blow our way through doors if we needed to. So we had all these these charges, and and some charges are we use water because if the force of water push, we had all this extra water bottles just like this. Um, we had called for the extraction. We we're at the extraction point. You could hear the H fifty three helicopters, which is a massive helicopter. You could hear the like whoop 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 of the blades. The sun's going down, and then I remember the the uh, captain Harwood at the time was in charge of the tactical operations center. Um, he basically said, you guys aren't coming home or I need you out. You're going to stay out there and, and, ex- and continue to exploit the intelligence. Well, we Meaning had- because why were these Afghanistan um, guys having so much, why did they have so much American equipment on them? Yeah, equipment, there was, all sorts of like we were finding other activities and reporting on it. He's like, you guys need to stay out there. There's still like a lot of stuff going out. Just stay out there. So as I remember, um, I saw Steve taking his water 
and just like pouring it out because he didn't want to carry the weight anymore. He's like, oh, the choppers are coming. I'm going to pour out the water. I'm like, I was like, hey, man, give me that. So I filled up all my canteens because I know like hydration is everything. So I'm, I drank like three bottles, f- topped off all my water bottle. And then I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm full up, you know, ready player one. And the helicopters get called off and Steve is like pouring out the last <laughs> this water and he realized what he had done i'm like you idiot like you're we're in the middle of nowhere and you're pouring out good water and he had to literally so we end up being out there for i think it was over 10 days and you know there's steve at the the afghan well like with a little um purification tablet which tastes like hell like dropping it in there having to drink this crap water um so the lesson learned there is um don't don't prepare for the extract uh, until it happens, right? Well, well, again, it's always like prepare. Uh, keep in mind the worst case scenario has some yeah. reasonable it, probability. Yeah, don't count the chickens before they hatch. Don't count your money before the checks in the bank. All that stuff, which happens and, all the time. Like you, yeah. so many. How many times have you been in a, a sales deal and they're like, "Oh, of course, we love this. We'll send you the contract tomorrow," and then you never hear from them again. Yeah, I mean, this amazing story about the the Beats story, right? When Beats sold to uh, Apple for whatever billion dollars, um, I forget. Um, the partner involved, but he's like, just don't say any. Jimmy Iovine said Jimmy to Dr. Iovine, Dre. It just says a Dre. Dr. Just, Dre says to everyone, we just sold Apple. Yeah, he he's like, just shut up for the weekend, let it happen. And, and Wait, hold on a second. Jay, are you serious? We actually have 10 minutes? Yeah. <laughs> so, and then it's some video ends up on social media of them celebrating and saying, yeah, we're billionaires, blah, 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 and it almost killed the whole deal, right? Um, but, to get to your story, so that that's the background. So now we're in there, and we get um, at night. The C one thirty gunship, which patrols this kill box, had killed a couple guys, and they said, "Hey, we need you to go out there pre dawn and check it out." And so we got the GPS coordinates. We had a um, a hand a squad, which I think we had seven guys with us. We went and patrolled out out there. We set up right at the GPS coordinate, which was in this kind of valley, and we laid up, you know, kind of concealed ourselves, and and um, our chief and a couple guys went. We set the perimeter. They went to kind of look for the bodies. And the sun had just started coming up, and then I spot these guys in the cave, and they in started, the cave. They were coming. It was it was about f- probably five hundred meters away, and they started coming out of the cave, and you could hear talking, and then they were praying. You could hear the prayer, and so I, um, I looked at at Cassidy, who was our platoon commander who is now in charge of the whole NASA astronaut program, was yeah. the second Navy SEAL astronaut. I got Cassidy, I signaled him, and and uh, we called on the radio to the guys that were out there to get down. And then um, they had, then we noticed that they had saw, they had seen us, but they're too far away to really give effect, effective fire. Um, and they probably couldn't, we were hunkered in, so they, they saw something but the situation is starting to escalate the sun's up we're in it they're elevated we're down here which is never a good did they try firing we had an exchange of fire start happening you know just like a small exchange and as as people do yeah and then um i remember we had because we were just planning on this one mission i didn't have my full sniper kit normally i have a laser rangefinder sniper rifle 
um, we have to call in an airstrike and I have to guesstimate. So Chris, my platoon commander, looks to me and says, hey, I need a range and bearing to target. He's call, He's got the B-52 on the on the radio and I'm going, okay, maybe I'm going to guess a little bit long on this first drop. <laughs> so I want to guess short. We're already dropping danger close to us. Like a 500 meter drop um, is pretty close. And to the point where Cassidy had to give permission, he had to give his social security number to the aircraft to, to authorize a danger close drop because we're practically dropping these bombs on ourselves. Um, and so all this is happening. Um, and then 60 seconds to impact, we hear a baby crying because these bad guys had their families with them. So that was a pretty heavy moment. As a guy, I was like about to have a, his own son uh, while I was deployed to Afghanistan. Uh, the burst bomb drops. It drops a little long. Uh, you know, I think we get maybe half of them. We call up. Second bomb takes out everybody. Uh, but it was pretty intense. Like it, <clears throat> it started out as everything is okay. We, we I see these guys. We're taking the wreck action. Well, then we realize they see us, and then things start to escalate. Um, and th- I mean, thank goodness we had the the radio guys call, and we had the contact with the with the aircraft. Um, and then it was okay, but it was like you know it escalated pretty quickly. And so, like I mean, how on a scale of zero to ten, how scared were you? I don't. I wasn't scared in the moment. I was. I got like that anxious. Um, I was more scared afterwards because I'm like, man, that was intense. Like if that hadn't gone, that could have gone way bad for us. Um, and I think. I mean, I had a couple near-death experiences in Afghanistan where it's like, you realize after the fact, okay, wow, that was intense. But I don't want to sound like I didn't have fear in those moments. The training does kick in. Like we go through so much training and and when you're in those moments, we train to deal with that situation. Right, and it's almost like a different kind of fear because you know when that fear kicks in, these are the five things you have to do. It's like in your manual. Yeah. But like a business failing, every business fails in its own unique way else you would have had the experience to make it succeed and not fail. Yeah. So that kind of fear, like I wanted to ask you, I was just curious while reading the book. And by the way, because we're, 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 you know, obviously we're not going to go through your whole process of mastering fear, but it's it's really brilliant, the process you come up with, and you really do turn um, fear in so many different situations, whether it's relationships or business or teaching someone a, a hard skill or learning a hard skill. You teach you teach people how to convert that fear into ways to move forward, and we'll maybe still get to some of those. But I was curious, going completely other end of the spectrum from being in Afghanistan, how old were your kids when you got divorced? Oh, I think Hunter was seven, um, Olivia was five, and you know, Grayson was was uh, two. And very, and so like. Young. You know the seven-year-old and the five-year-old. You would read them stories to to sleep at night. Did they ever have a nightmare? And you know you would go downstairs and see what the nightmare was about and comfort them. Oh yeah, no, I have. I remember. Um, this is a funny story. Uh, I was in my house and I was writing. I just think written. I'd sold an article to FHM magazine. It was when I first started writing, and. I had a Heineken. I remember I was sitting in my chair. I was writing on my laptop. 
I had my Heineken. I put my Heineken down because I heard Olivia, she was crying from her bedroom. So I go back in there. I go and I comfort her. She's having a nightmare. I walk out. My beer is flipped over. And I was like, man, that thing was three quarters full and it's gone. There's not a big mess. I'm like, okay, that doesn't... I go in the fridge. I get another Heineken. And I come out. And then, and then I see my two-year-old son, Grayson, walking around. And he's got this like swagger. Oh my gosh. I'm like... He drank the beer. Cheers! <laughs> so I get on my. I called my friend. Very Glenn. Uh, prodigious children. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think it was Glenn or Eric, one of my my medic buddies in the SEAL team. Like, hey, this happened. He's like, hey, just keep an eye on him as long as he's you know he's doing this. He's like, you should be okay. So again, you, <laughs> I had to tell you, my wife, you, your like, source just, of wisdom. You called. Yeah. <laughs> well, you had a little here. But what I was yeah. going to get to was when you're going through a divorce, <laughs> you're not. You you realize one of the things you realize is you, you're not going to be around those kids ever again in the same way. It's not going to be like when they're going to school, you're with them those 250 days of the year yeah. straight. Uh, and I, I actually think this is a great topic and people don't talk about divorce and family enough because it's just like this elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about it. And, and I feel like especially judged because I don't live with my kids full-time. I don't, I don't know what your arrangement is. I don't is, live but... with my kids full-time. My, my kids are with... Are, they were just with me for for uh, different amounts of weeks, and this is their last week with them, and uh, so maybe that's why I was thinking yeah. of this. But I, but I just want to mention when when I read about your divorce and the kids, one thing I was thinking was when I got divorced, the thing I was afraid of the most, and this really almost incapacitated me, was that I would not be able to be there when they woke up in the middle of the night having a nightmare. Yeah. I was no there was probably never going to happen again. Yeah. Even though, you know, it could happen when they were staying with me, but it's a random event, so it may never happen again. And I wonder if you if you were if that was a a thought yeah, a fear. I, I mean, I had this I with the when I divorced, I was I was coaching little league and enjoyed it. I had this vision of fatherhood for the future and and we were in marriage counseling and when we decided to to end the relationship um, and it was really her. I was holding on to it. I, I didn't want to be a failure. And we decided, thankfully, we had a great lady we were working with that really helped us have a good divorce um, and be friend, build and work at a friendship that we have a, a strong bond today. Um, but yeah, I, I, was I was afraid. I just lost this whole vision of what I thought being a dad was going to be like and was in an empty house alone by myself having to have the conversations with the neighbors where's your wife where's your kids yeah those shameful conversations yeah having to bump into the little league commissioner hey you coaching this year so i had to deal with all that stuff um and again that feeling and, of i'm not they could be having a nightmare tonight and i'm not going to be able to comfort them yeah or they get bullied at school and yeah. i'm not going to be there so you know i would and you know our situation was unique. Um, I, my wife at the time had this had a good family support system. They had this beautiful ranch in Northern California. She's like, I want to go up there, and she was dealing with stuff. And she, and the psychologist we were working with said, Look, you know, happy mom, happy kids. You got to support her in this. And I was like, No, the law says this. You know, you can't move out of the county. But I, I made peace with it. And then over time, we built this amazing relationship to the point where even the in-laws kind of take sides in the beginning, but we start, started setting the example and both the, the our sets of parents kind of fell in and 
today I, I get text messages from my former mother-in-law, like, congratulations on the new book. So we have this, like, amazing relationship. So, so like, like, when you're first going through it, though, and you're like, you're, you know, you feel this, this palpable loneliness, particularly because, you know, you're torn away from your children for the first time. Maybe I'm dramatizing it too much, but uh, how did you tell yourself, okay, I'm going to deal with this fear. And then what's the, what was the jumping off point? You Jumping off is part of your process yeah. in, in dealing with fear. What was your jumping off point where you're like, okay, my relationship with my kids are going to be different, but it's going to be great. I'm going to make it great in my own way. Yeah, that was, I don't know, remember what moment it was, but that was, that was the catalyst, right? I realized, okay, my, the nat- my relationship with my kid has changed. My idea of what it, fatherhood is in the future has changed how do i have a positive how do i create this into a positive and make it the best situation possible and so i came up with a plan we decided look for stability let's not do this back and forth stuff they'll be with you you'll be with your family on your family's ranch um, which helps us you know that she had a, a beautiful house to stay in in uh, paso robles and just decided, okay, this is how we're going to, um, this is how uh, we're going to have a, a parent, a co-parenting relationship in the future. And I would get the kids in the summer, and we'd have a winter holiday. And we, and so I, I said, I'm going to build a tradition of adventure in the summer, and then we're going to take this family ski trip in the winter. And I taught the kids from nothing um, in, into expert skiers. My daughter's on the ski race team this year in, in high school. Um, so I created this tradition and, you know, we FaceTime and we, we have, we have our way and it's a very positive environment. I, when I can, you know, and their mom got remarried, had two more daughters. Her husband's a great guy. He's a chiropractor um, up in Oregon. And I literally have the kind of relationship where it was not last Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving before I have an investment property in Oregon. I went up there and I said, look, how about I just cook dinner, Thanksgiving dinner for everybody? So all her family came over, her husband, and I cooked Thanksgiving dinner and we're like, you know, sharing stories. That's a kind of relationship I have. And So again, it's, it's this focus on always being self-aware when, I mean, and this is what we just talked about was not necessarily fear, but also depression. Your same process yeah. applies. And like the process itself is um let me find where i bookmarked it the process itself is decision coming the decision of dealing with the fear um rehearsal kind of i guess getting in safe scenarios where you could encounter the fear but you know very deeply it's not going to harm you uh letting go really deciding that okay i'm going to i'm going to feel the fear and i'm going to somehow sit with it and figure out new ways to to deal with it jumping off where now you have to really come up with a, a long-term plan of, of dealing with the fear or the depression or whatever. And then what I think is the most important, what you say is the most important is knowing what matters. Yeah. And I remember when I was reading in your book about knowing what matters, I was thinking, boy, this is going to be great. I'm going to get in this podcast <laughs> and I'm going to say, that reminds me of Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, the stories you're telling. And then like the very next page, it's just like Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, Brandon thought of it. But uh, knowing what matters is, I mean, that's how 
Victor Frankl, as an example, survived uh, you know the worst concentration camps in in World War II, and so many people didn't. That's how knowing what matters, like your kids in this case, allows you to to go all the way back and make the decision. I need to deal with this fear. Yeah. Uh, I need to I need to figure out how to let go, how to jump off, uh, because what matters to me is is my family. I think that's such an important, also precursor skill. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I, I think it's one of the. I mean, the reason I put it at the end because it's it's so important. And I see so many people, and you probably experience this too. They go, uh, James, I want to be rich, and you're like, okay, what's rich? What's the number? They don't even know what the number is. Right. And 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 they and you bring up the point. Like you 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 turn a lot of kind of self-help advice upside down, but you bring a, up the point that uh uh it's it's BS to say money's not important because obviously it is important. Yeah. Uh if if you could do a lot of things with money, you know, hopefully good, unfortunately some bad, but in, hopefully people listening to this do do good things with it and you can enjoy life. You, you can pursue your passions more if you have some money, and that's why we're, we're all trying to succeed and build careers and so on. But fear, you know, just going for money will never get you there. Because yeah. if you're competing against, let's say you're building your media business, the media business you have right now. Let's say you had no, and the topic is roughly what you've been doing all your life, which is relating to, you know, the the things you studied and learned and experienced as a, a Navy SEAL. Like you said, this James Bond crate box is one of your products. You're passionate about that because you have been for 30 years. If you're up against, if your competitor is someone who's not so passionate but is focused on making $50 million, you're going to crush him. Because yeah. passion, I feel, create, and tell me if I'm wrong, passion creates nuance. It, it creates an understanding of nuance because you're able to see in between the small crevices that the other people who are, they're all, they stop, they're capped where the money is and you're capped where much higher where your passion is. Yeah, I mean, our biggest competitor in in that kind of gear, monthly gear subscription box, um, in, and ours is the, is the Crate Club, we had it, we went in to the market because I saw I'm like, oh, these guys aren't passionate about this. Like the the number one guy is it's the box is full of crap. It's like nothing against manufacturing in China because China does has a, a lot of good manufacturing capability. My iPhone is made in China. But a lot of the gear uh, stuff that's made in China is, you know, it fits the stereotype where it's just kind of crappy and and I could tell there was no passion and uh, pride behind the product that we're sending out. And they they were the biggest one and it took us uh, only I think a year and a half to to to, to go from number three to number one in category. But that's why also when you uh, experience this almost catastrophe, you're able to say as a solution, let's make our own product. Someone who's just an NBA looking at spreadsheets is not going to say, uh, let's create our own James Bond like gadgets because they don't know how. They don't. They yeah. didn't have the pleasure of studying these things and experiencing it. You did, so you're able to say, okay, well, if we use this part, this part, you're able to kind of design your own way to make a product. You know all the the manufacturers, you're, you're passionate about it. You know what matters. And so when fear hit you on this business, you're able to come up with so many, almost an exponential number of solutions to conquer that fear. Just like, you know, the story starts off, you're teaching our friend Kamal how to swim. You teach him in a very unusual way how to swim. And, and it's, again, it's not 
teaching him a swimming technique, it's teaching him a battling fear technique. Yes, and exactly. studying what you did there uh, applies to every area of life, whether it's business or stand-up comedy. Uh, when you go out into the audience and you tell a joke and they're totally silent, that's scary. Yeah. And you have to know what matters to you there and you have to do this process of, okay, decision, rehearsal, letting go, jumping off, knowing what matters, and then you can get you 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 get the experience to to build up to ha- turn those situations, those tense situations into good ones cuz tension is energy. And you could either use that energy to blow up yeah. or you could use that energy to blow up in a good way, like yeah. to, to be he- enormous. Yeah. And uh I know I know you have to to wrap. I just want to say this is a book I'm going to use Every single day, again, your process of decision, rehearsal, letting go, jumping off, knowing what matters. It's almost good we didn't get to everything because people should <laughs> buy the book and understand what each thing means and follow all the stories because it's not just about avoiding bullets. It's about learning to swim, dealing with relationships, succeeding in building a, a an eight, nine, ten-figure business. Uh, so many great stories you have. It's a short book. It's it's easy to read. Uh Brandon's looking at it right now that I'm holding my copy. Every other page is bookmarked. I didn't even know what to do. How <laughs> at the end I was bookmarking every single page. I just should have stopped bookmarking and I ruined the book because I there's so many pages folded over. Um I have an idea for a part two for this, whenever yeah. you can come back. Uh, which is I want I wanna see if your process held true, which I think it did, for every single thing I've been afraid of. Yeah. Like I've been afraid of Going broke. You mentioned me. Thank you, by the way. I yeah, spoke several times. Going broke, uh, dealing with relationships, throwing out all my belongings, even doing stand up. Um, and I was scared to death each time. And I always thought I had to conquer my fear, but really almost like immersing yourself in it, like accepting the challenge is is where the superpower begins. And that's what people will get out of this book is building that that superpower. So Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you as as always. Yeah, it's always, and always uh, a good conversation. We're definitely you promise we're going to do a part 2. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Brandon. 